0: Hello friends, I'm Luke and I serve on the music team at Holy Family. We continue to hear stories from people like you who listen to the Holy Family podcast and consider Holy Family your church. And whether you're someone who's constantly on the go, hasn't found a church community where you live to which you can belong, or someone who's wondering about the shape of your faith, we are honored to be with you by sharing these reflections from our Sunday liturgies. We rely on the generosity of our congregation, which includes you wherever you listen, to help our ministry achieve and maintain financial health. If this podcast has been a gift to you, would you consider making a contribution so that we can continue offering resources that welcome questions, curiosities, and doubts? You can make a gift by following the link in our show notes. That's at holyfamilyhtx.org.
1: as a reminder, this is the final Sunday of Advent. One way that you can tell that is because when we gather around the font, we have, uh, it's kind of like the Advent candle countdown. All four are lit, which means that Christmas Eve is like around the corner, which is kind of bananas. But we're here. And what that means for Christians is that we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. As a reminder. The 12 days of Christmas are not the 12 days that lead up to Christmas. The 12 days of Christmas are a 12 day party that begins on Christmas and it goes for 12 days. But we're not there yet. We are still in Advent. And while Advent has taken on lots of different meanings, at its simplest meaning, it means coming. That's all it means. And the major lesson of Advent in a sentence is that Jesus Christ is always coming closer. Forever. However close Jesus Christ is to you now, you have an entire eternity ahead of you of him getting closer. (laughs) That's what Advent is about. Always preparing for Christ to come even closer. And throughout Advent, we are sent different messengers, different preachers. We have heard from John the Baptist this Advent. But did you pay attention today to the final Advent messengers? The first Advent messenger is the angel. The angel gives a message to Joseph You are going to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now, I can be pretty, especially if you've been in class with me together, sometimes my only job in class is just to say, now hold on, actually reread that again. What does that text actually say? Name him Jesus for he will save his people on the fourth Sunday of Advent, we need to listen to the messenger from heaven. Jesus will save us. Now, I don't know, depending on the religious tradition you came up in, save might mean a lot of things. It's this notion of being rescued from death, being liberated from the bondage of decay. All of the forms of life that seek to dehumanize us Jesus comes to rehumanize us to make us not less human but more deeply human than we have ever been before. And the messenger from heaven says that will happen. Not Jesus might save. Not now Jesus has the ability to save. Not, Jesus has the power to make it possible that some of you, given the... No. Jesus will liberate. Jesus will rescue. Jesus will rehumanize. I was reminded this week of one of my favorite sermons. It was preached to a group of incarcerated people in Basel in 1955. The preacher... Named Carl says, (laughs) says this, quote, we are all sufferers. Most of all, we really suffer from ourselves. We each make life difficult for ourselves, and we do so to our fellow humans. We suffer from a lack of meaning in life. We suffer in the shadow of death and of eternal judgment to which we are moving. We spend our whole life in the midst of a whole world of sin, of captivity and suffering under the regime of death, right? But then preacher Carl goes on to say this, quote, "...but now listen, into the depth of our predicament, the word is spoken from on high. By grace you have been saved." To be saved does not just mean to be a little encouraged or a little comforted, a little relieved. It means to be pulled out like a log from a burning fire. You have been saved. We are not told you may be saved sometimes or a little bit. No, you have been saved totally and for all times. You, yes, we Not just any other people, more pious and better than us. No, we, each one of us. That is the good news that is preached to us at Christmas. And we all have subtle and not so subtle forms of resistance to say, yeah, but that can't actually be true, right? To which the messenger from heaven says again, Jesus will save. Second messenger in this text, the prophet, one of Israel's prophets, Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah says, Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel. Now, don't lie to me. I know some of you are probably rolling your theological eyes at the notion of a virginal conception or virgin birth. Are you familiar with these? Um, <laughs> I sound like such an old man. Um, are you familiar with the Internet? Uh, so the Internet has this, <laughs> the Internet, just like the Walmart. So the, uh, on the Internet, there's this whole uh, meme uh, and, and opportunity for collaboration where uh, you've seen this, like you tell the plot of a movie or you tell the plot of a story badly. Uh, for example, Have you seen the one where the dad has to go pick up his daughter? Taken. Have you seen the one where the group spends four hours returning jewelry? Extended edition. That's right. Or the one where the eccentric drug addict makes condescending comments to cops? Sherlock Holmes. I really like the one where the wife shames her husband for not being cool enough to murder the king, Macbeth. Okay, so you get the concept, right? It's such a cheap way of talking about these rich, complex stories. My simple plea to you is to not let the worst crummy theological takes spoil you from enjoying really rich theological insights, okay? Okay. A lot of people give really crummy theological takes. And if you just take it as if that's the only explanation for these things, of course you're going to roll your eyes at it. But it could just be that you've heard the worst take and you've not yet actually considered all of the richness that is available to you. I thus contend that the concept of virginal conception is a theological work that says... God's working here with a woman without any need for any man to get involved, to get the job done. (laughs) Oh, you're into it now. Uh Uh-huh. Good. God comes to a woman, Mary, and says, hey, you want to do something really cool? Yeah, what do you want to do? I don't know. Save the entire cosmos, all of humanity, make them more human rather than less. You want in on that? And she says, yeah, let it be. Her willingness and openness to the work of God to be born in her inspires. And God says, okay, good. We don't need to bring any man into it. Deal, deal, handshake, done. St. Simeon, the new theologian actually talked about this a whole lot. He said, so what we got in Adam was someone without a man or a woman. And what we got in Eve was someone without a woman. It's about time in Jesus, we get somebody without a man. And that's the one who's going to save all of humanity. The church has explored the liberating idea of virginal conception, not just as theological trivia about Jesus, but actually as a way, um, a theological apparatus about making sense of our own awakening to life in Christ. This is why the church is often called mother church. In the second century, the phrase virgin mother actually referred to the church. That's why the waters of baptism are called the womb of the virgin mother where new children are always being born. The prophet says this baby born out of a cooperation between God and a woman shall be called Emmanuel with us is God quite literally with us God L yeah. In the 4th century St Ephraim the Syrian writes this poem Quote the power that governs all dwelt in a small womb and while dwelling there he was holding the reins of the universe I love that image a little baby in a mother's womb is holding the reins of the universe We often reduce God's presence among us in at least three ways. Here's the first. Well, God is simply just for us, cheering us on, mildly loving us from a distance, and hoping that we choose to do right with our lives. Here's the second. Well, God came to do something for us. And the life of Jesus was a very exciting episode in the eternal existence of the second person of the Trinity. A heat check of all heat checks, less than four years of recorded ministry, goes in, puts up 10 threes, and then sits back down at the right hand of the Father forever, and then says, now back to you. Here's the third way that we cheapen God's presence among us. God came to do something with us. yes. And we love this. I mean, gosh, we love this. We roll up our sleeves and we get out there and we collaborate with God and we put a dent into the universe and we make the world a better place. And we usually cannot resist thinking that basically we are equals with God in this collaboration. It almost always happens. But that's not what the prophet said. The prophet did not say, name the baby God for us. The prophet did not say, name the baby God's going to do something for us. The prophet did not say, name that baby God's going to do something with us. No. The prophet simply said, that baby will be called God with us. My dear sisters, brothers, and siblings, as simple as I know how to tell you, this is the gospel. God with us. God's deepest desire is to be with you in Jesus Christ forever. There is no ulterior motive. There is no something greater underneath that. There is no condition. There is no clause. Hear the good news. The only thing that God wants out of you is to be with you. Who else in your life do you have that is has set up the arrangement with you that way. Only a God like this one could say, the only thing I want out of you is to be with you forever. No takebacks. There is then perhaps no better image for this with-ness than Mary. God is so with that God takes up residence inside God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one being with the Father, with Mary. She is the burning bush come alive, filled with the fiery presence of God, and it does not destroy her. You, holy family, you can be that burning bush as well. In the same way that the Spirit overshadowed Mary, And her body conceived the incarnate body of Christ. So the Spirit will do for you, will overshadow you, and you will become the body of Christ. So those are the two messengers in Advent 4's gospel the angel and the prophet. Oh, did you notice who didn't speak? Who didn't speak? Joseph. There is not one single solitary word recorded in all of Scripture that comes out of Joseph's mouth. Not one ever. And yet, he is called righteous, and he simply did what God commanded him to do, taking his place in the Holy Family. It is time for a church to not always be convinced that they have something to say. It's time for a church to be convinced that they don't always have to go on the record. You and I have a chance as this church to say, you know, the angels and the prophets. Actually, there's a whole lot of words already. There's a whole lot of messengers that have already been sent by God. How are we going to add to that? We have a chance to be content and take our place in God's holy family And simply do the work that God has given us to do. That is a vision for a church that is more humble, quiet, gentle, but righteous. Did you know that the word, the Greek word for righteousness and justice are the same? That's holy family.